0: Morning, everyone now that I have a mic. Uh, if you'll open your Bibles uh, to Isaiah, chapter 55, and while you're turning there, um, I'll just kind of briefly recap uh, what we talked about last week. So last week we resumed our study of Isaiah and uh, in chapter 54. And we talked about how chapter 54 was this um, beautiful uh, exposition of what chapter 53 meant. What did it mean that the servant was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities? Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. So that beautiful picture of redemption, what did it actually mean for uh, the servant's people? And we saw last week in chapter 54 that Isaiah used three pictures three sets of images to, um, to show the effects of the servant's work. So first, we saw that image that, of God commanding a barren woman to sing, to enlarge her tents, and to banish fear and shame. Because although she's sterile, her husband is, uh, is God himself, who has given her such a large offspring that they fill the entire earth. And that picture we talked about is the normative state of the community of the redeemed, the people of God, the church, that have been brought into being by supernatural birth, designed for growth, and secure in the loving care of the Lord. The second picture he gave us in Isaiah chapter 54 uh, was of an adulterous bride who's cast out for a moment because of her sin but her husband takes her back because of his eternal everlasting love love that will never depart from her and we talked about how the Lord looks upon his bride the church with great compassion with endless love that's displaced wrath and momentary estrangement that cannot undo the permanence of God's restoration and then that third image was of a storm-tossed afflicted city, being not just rebuilt, but adorned with radiant brilliance, secured from all enemies because the sovereign God has established its everlasting peace. And we talked about how this city resembled the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city of God where the church receives its eternal rest and reward in the book of Revelation. The theme that connected all three images we closed class with is that because of the free gift of God's grace, because the suffering servant uh, suffered vicariously in their stead, the servants of the Lord, the church, possess a joyful, confident peace, secure in this great redemption accomplished and applied. Now one thing we didn't talk about last week was identity. Uh, We didn't talk about the who. We saw this great picture of the barren woman and the adulterous wife, and the, the city, all these things being restored and redeemed. But we weren't given a sense of, of to whom uh, are these servants, who are these servants of the Lord? To whom is, are these gifts being given? How does one enter into this eternal covenant of peace? So if chapter 53 described the act of redemption and chapter 54 applied the redemption to the church showing its effects, Chapter 55 we see today is invitation. Um, It shows uh, the pathway by which we participate in this great salvation that God secured for his people. Um, Another way to think about it is wickedness, objectively considered, has been dealt with by the servant's death. Wickedness, subjectively considered, calls for repentance to bring those divinely purchased blessings into our personal experience that personal application, we'll get in chapter 55. So let me read the chapter for us, um, and then I'll uh, open our time together in prayer. So hear the word of the Lord, Isaiah chapter 55, beginning in verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Thus far the word of the Lord, let's ask him by his spirit to increase its hearing and Almighty God, we do rejoice in the everlasting salvation that you've secured uh, by your Son, the servant of the Lord, the suffering servant of the Lord, Jesus Christ, who took our sins and made propitiation for them, that we might uh, be pardoned. Lord God, we confess we are sinners, that we are unrighteous, that we are, as Isaiah calls us here, wicked. And that is good news, because those are the people who the Lord calls to this feast, not those who have a righteousness of their selves, not those who think that they are rich and can purchase uh, uh, satisfaction for their souls, but those who see their need those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And Lord God, we hunger and thirst for your word. And as you've promised here, that word goes forth, and it does not come back void. It, it goes out, and it wroughts change in our hearts. And so we ask uh, confidently, because of this declaration you've made through your servant Isaiah, that your word, that your invitation uh, to us, to participate in the great salvation you've wrought, um, will not uh, return to you fruitless, but will reach uh, into our hearts, and reach into our souls, reach into our very beings and change us. Lord God, you call us sinners, you call us as we are, but you do not call us to stay as we are. And so we ask that by your spirit, you will use your word to change us, to shape us, to help us repent of our sin but rejoice in the salvation of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, by the power of your spirit. Amen. All right, so chapter 55, uh, three times in those first three verses, we hear this, this command to come, come. So who's, who's being called to come? Um, if this is an invitation, <laughs> who, who's the invitation going out to? I'm sorry, Teresa, I can hear. So the ones who can hear, all right. So ones who have ears to hear, okay. What else would we say about these ones who Isaiah calls to come? You know, what, are we, what are we told about uh, in this chapter, the people who are being invited? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's not, um, it's not uh, the people who can afford, you know. It's the people who recognize their need. Okay, so people who are coming, who ha- the one who has no money, is being invited to come and eat. Good. What else? So, um, so ones who have ears to hear, ones who are poor. Uh, where do you see that, Scott? <laughs> no, no. But where, where do you see the misguided? Yeah, the what, uh, uh, and we are gonna work through that some, the the comparison between what's being uh, purchased in each of these transactions, you know, that you're spending your money. So misguided, yeah, that's a good, good term. Um, that the people who are being invited, it's not that they're devoid of resources, but um, those resources are being wasted on things that will not satisfy. Uh, so misguided, okay? Yeah, Mark. Yeah, the, those beatitudes that we studied this summer—that you know—it's it's people who are being invited are people who have need, um, that they they thirst, <laughs> um, and they're the ones. So these ones who thirst but have no resources to assuage that thirst. Um, so notice the expansiveness of that um, of that invitation. Um, They, these are people who have nothing but the knowledge of their need. Um, uh, so, and notice how even though this, um, all right, well, let's talk about, so this is a free offer. Um, now, we get free offers all the time, right? <laughs> Television, free, plus shipping and handling, <laughs> Free. With a 12-month subscription at 9.95, <laughs> you know we. So, is, is there a catch here? You know, is is what's being offered without cost? Yeah, you know, we raise our little skeptical eye there. <laughs> you know, we get free invites. So, this invitation um, is, is what what's being offered really free? What do you think? It's free for us. And notice the language. We still have the language of commerce in here. Come, buy. <laughs> without money. But you still, you know, come, buy without money. Without price. Why do you spend, you know, again, uh, that that image of spending uh, uh, your money for that which is not bread. Um, so we have, you know, come, buy, and eat. Um, so we have the language of commerce there. But it's, um, but as uh, Dana said, it's, it's not us paying the price. Um, the command buy is repeated. There's purchase going on. Um, there's a price, but the price is not ours to pay. The invitees bring their poverty to a transaction that's already completed. Um, and as I was uh, thinking about this, um, you know, the, the hymn Rock of Ages has that stand-up. Uh, that really captures you know this nothing in my hand I bring simply to the cross I cling. naked come to thee for dress helpless look to thee for grace foul I to the fountain fly wash me savior or I die that expression of what we bring is our need and we're bringing it to one who we know has has um, has made uh, the satisfaction that we can't who's paid the price that we cannot so now I want to go back to something Scott uh, touched on a little bit. Um, so how does what they're being offered compare to what they normally partake of? so what is this you know food and drink that's being offered us here uh, that we're being invited to? Yeah Jerry. Yeah, and it's that poverty of spirit, you know? And notice here that as he's addressing these poor, um, it's not that they're without money, um, because, you know, why do you spend your money on that which does not satisfy, you know? Why do you labor for things that um, ultimately bring you no satisfaction? So there are people, you're absolutely right, it's not addressing their material resources, their material poverty, But there's spiritual poverty that we all have, you know, whether we are economically poor or economically rich. We all have the same need. Yeah, Bill. Well, I was going to say what you just said, I think, in verse 3. Your soul, that your soul may live, so the food is not for our body, it's for our soul. Yeah, for our, and, you know, again, the word soul there, our whole being, you know, food. You know, think about food and drink, you know, and think of how much time we devote to thinking about <laughs> food and drink. And we eat it, and it has as good as it is, you know, it, it doesn't satisfy because, you know, my stomach rumbles again three hours later, you know, or no matter how many times I fill this cup up, <laughs> and it gets filled up I don't know how many times a day. I'm getting my eight cups of water that they tell me I'm supposed to drink. I, I can confidently assert that. Um, but I, I still have to go to the, you know, water cooler. Uh, and, and uh, yeah, I wonder how much of the Simmons water uh, budget I personally drink. They <laughs> keep bringing them in. I keep emptying them. Um, but, you know, the things of, of this material world are not the things that satisfy. They can't provide the peace that we need. They might temporarily meet some pang of the body, but they don't nourish the soul or remove our sins. Um, and th- this this phrase that Bill pointed us to, your soul will delight, def- denotes a satisfaction of the heart, of the whole person itself, in contrast with all those things that do not satisfy. And hopefully um, these passage... Uh, you know this this use of spiritual food and drink sounds familiar where else in the scriptures do we see the same kind of language in new testament where can you remember yeah so two um two examples you you nailed both the ones i wanted us to sort of think about um two examples uh, both from the Gospel of John, um, John 4, 13, 14, where Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman at the well. Um, and, you know, it's this picture of she's got to come to the well every day to draw her water. And, and Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water, pointing to the water of the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus there pronouncing himself as the life giving waters, and that's what the Samaritan really needs. And again, sort of remember that episode, um he, he confronts her with her sin. You know, Well go fetch your husband. Well <laughs> you know I don't have a husband. No, you don't have a husband. <laughs> You're living with a guy. He's not your husband. Um, he's pointing out her real need isn't the water that comes from that well, but you know this forgiveness of sins, this uh, water of eternal life that he is the wellspring of. And then the other passage that Teresa uh, mentioned, Jesus being the bread of of life. And I'm going to read a little longer section. from This is from John chapter 6. Um, just because, again, I think it's the beautiful way that the uh, gospel writer is using this picture straight out of the book of of Isaiah, how Jesus is using this, this picture straight out of Isaiah. So again, this is Jesus speaking in John 6. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. these words of the prophet Isaiah, and showing um, succinctly when Isaiah is talking and inviting people to come, to come to this feast that's laid out for them, that which they thirst for, um, that which they long to feed upon, is the work of this this Messiah, this Christ, who has come and has sacrificed for them, who is the spring of living water who is the bread of life. Yes. You want to read that for us? and Yeah, it, it, this glorious picture of of this invitation to come and, and secure that which God has uh, purchased for us, to taste of that, this feast, this heavenly banquet that he's laid out for us. Um, and notice how last week we were talking about you know John <laughs> in Revelation and, and the passage uh, just read for us and then the Gospel of John, that this is at the heart of what it means to be a redeemed community. Um, and at the heart of it is the people who acknowledge their thirst and their need and that the things that um, we do of ourselves, uh, our own labors, can't purchase this. This is something that, that comes to us purchased by Christ and his sacrifice for us. Um, good. Anything else we want to say on just this, the first food and drink part? All right, so my next question is, is one word. So just put a question mark after the word. I'll try to do it with my voice, but, you know, David? (laughs) Um, Yeah, so, um, you know, here we are. We're in this transaction. Um, And then at the end of verse 3, my steadfast, sure love for David. So what is David? have to do with this redemptive transaction. Okay, so as we've been talking about in our study um, in 1 uh, Samuel, um, that started up bas- last week, and, and Jerry preached, you know, that this, this, this David who God chooses, he's not chosen because he's the tallest or the strongest. Um, he's chosen because he's a man after God's own heart. And it's that uh, that gives him the strength to bring down Goliath, okay yeah, that this promise of David's house will last forever. This covenant again, this contract, and notice we have that that language of covenant here, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. That steadfast, sure love is that um, Hesed that we talk about when we often when we study Psalms. Um, the way uh, um, Charles Petty, who is this? He's a musician um, that uh, lives down in Chapel Hill, and he. he set the psalms to music, and he would come over to Duke and talk to the Old Testament professors and try to figure out, well, what's the best way to translate this Hebrew word? And when he uh, was doing, coming up with with Hesed for the purposes of song, um, he called it steady love, you know, love that doesn't change, um, love that endures, you know, it's steadfast, it's everlasting, and this is the language of the covenant that God made with with David, establishing that eternal kingship. Um, Psalm 89 um, is a good um, uh, representation or good uh, short summary of the covenant with David. Let me just read the first two verses. Um, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens, you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I've sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. So they are that promise of this eternal kingship. So as we think about this feast that's being offered, um, uh, It's being connected to this uh, kingship. And notice how it's an expansive kingship. It's not just king uh, of Israel. Um, Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, plural. A leader and commander for the peoples, plural. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you. Um, So that word nation, you know, um, that's the word for Gentiles, the goyim, the people who are not Jewish. So as we think about this, this eternal covenant that God makes uh, with David, this kingship that Isaiah is um, um, bringing forth in this passage, it's this kingship that will extend over all the earth, over all the nations. And it's on the basis of that kingship that this feast can take place. Um, uh, the plural pronoun you, for example, there, um, it's the same you, uh, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Um, and then in verse three, I will make with you similar plural pronoun an everlasting covenant. So the same people who are being invited to, um, to this feast are also being invited to participate in this eternal rule of this uh, Davidic king, um, and specifically this chosen servant uh, who suffered. Um, that the, Again, the Isaiah's irony is the Messiah he, um, he proclaims isn't the Messiah coming in earthly triumph. It's the Messiah who establishes rule through sacrificial suffering. That's that's the pathway to leadership for Isaiah. Good. Anything else we want to say on David before we move on? Okay. Um, so we've probably heard the words of verse eight before. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. But why is that statement here? Um, what's what's the purpose? I mean, it's it's coming in an invitation. (laughs) Um, Notice how the invitation continues in verse 6. Except now it's not come, it's seek. Um, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Uh, Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. So why stick that decoration in an invitation? Yeah, Mark. (laughs) Yeah, so we it's not the kind of invitation we would craft <laughs> and especially for you know the costly feast that's being laid out here yeah teresa yeah this work of redemption um that uh, again this is, it's, this is still working out, that, that, that theology he presented in, in chapter 53 of this, this suffering servant who, even though he's higher than everyone else, um, even though he, he has the position of power and authority, subjects himself to abasement, to being abused by humanity, even to death, um, to be tortured, as we talked about when we cha- talked about chapter 53, real torture for someone else, not for anything, any unrighteous act he performed, but for all our unrighteous acts. Um, and that is, that's astounding. Um, that is a picture, yeah, that, that strains our mental capacities. <laughs> Good. What else? Uh, wh- or why else? give this declaration so um this isn't the invitation that we would extend um you know because uh you know, we wouldn't offer something so bounteous for free um uh this this the cost of this banquet goes beyond what we could conceive of what else would we say about um, this yeah mike Yeah, that this, this, this salvation is, is for them, but it's for all the earth through them. And then, you know, uh, um, uh, as we study the Old Testament, we see that's the promise, you know, all along. You know, think about, you know, uh, Teresa last minute, we mentioned the covenant with Abraham, you know. But, uh, you know, I will bless you <laughs> and through you all the nations. You know, that's the essence of that. I will be your God and you will be my people Um, and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And, you know, it's like they were reading it, and they, I will bless you, and you will be my people. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) Um, And rather than, you know, understanding the fullness of the promise, that, you know, we've seen it in Isaiah um, over and over again, that this redemption that's being offered isn't just for Israel. It's just not, it's not just theirs. But it's the hope for all people. Because just as we, we've talked about in prior chapters, the need. Uh, Israel's need is the same fundamental need of all the nations. That they are sinners who need um, to be delivered from their sins. Not delivered from the nations. Now they need to be delivered from their sins. The, being, the nations um, subjecting them to their authority is just um, a, a pointer to their real need. Yeah, check. yeah and um i am going to change your answer just by two words because <laughs> it's the perfect answer you said it effaces it a bit um I'm going to change a bit and put in completely <laughs> and say amen brother yeah it's it takes away that that works righteousness, and notice how again this decoration um is coming after this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Um, It's a call to those who know they're unrighteous, who know they're wicked. And that is the stumbling block over and over again. And I love how um, Paul, in the third chapter of Philippians, you know, he, he describes the barriers that kept him um, from coming wasn't his unrighteous acts. It were his righteous acts. You know, all those things he was proud of, those were what were keeping him from coming to Christ. Um, and it was his his realization, this aha moment where he goes, you know, being a Jew, circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, being a Pharisee, upholding all the works of the law—I count all those things rubbish. <laughs> They're trash. They're nothing compared to the work of of Christ on my behalf. Um, so again, that um, you know, back to to that uh, rock of ages. You know, nothing in my hands I bring. You yeah. um, know, it's that. Uh, we come as receptors um, uh, of this salvation uh, that God offers not as, it's not a potluck <laughs> where we're contributing our righteousness to it but it's the the free total gift of God on our behalf and it you know uh, to go back to your I loved your word a face you know because that's what it is it erases you know any sense that we're contributing something to this that we're somehow deserving no our Our deserving of it comes from our acknowledging that we don't deserve it. That's what makes us uh, likely candidates. Uh, And again, we we get examples of this all the time in the New Testament of people who, uh, in Matthew, the people who Jesus helps throughout the gospel are those who acknowledge they need him, you know, they come to him and, you know, my daughter's sick um, and is dying or, you know, if I could just touch the hem of his robe, this bleeding I've been suffering my whole life will go away. You know, they they come knowing that they 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 need. Um, and it's the people who don't think they need what Jesus is offering. You know, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, uh, these scribes of the law, uh, the rich young ruler, you know, uh, who, mm, yeah, that's a little uh yeah, uh, I, I don't want that. <laughs> uh, that, that. I don't need that. Good. Anything else we want to say about the kind of, and I, again, we, we use this statement all the time, and it's fine to use the statement as this declaration of kind of God's otherness from us, but I want us to see here how it's connected to the invitation and how God's invitation, God's grace goes beyond that which we can conceive language. You know, his th- his goodness um, goes beyond that we um, that we understand. Uh, and to think that this is being addressed to the wicked, the unrighteous. I kept thinking back um, how James uh, went last spring when we were talking about you know it's an invitation to those in prison. <laughs> you know, those who are in darkness, uh, held and in, in, you know captive in darkness. They're the ones who the light is being shown to. And for us, we were like, well, if they're in prison, they should be there for a reason, <laughs> you know, because prisons are our way, you know, that, you know, we don't, um, you know, we don't invite the prisoners to come to our house. <laughs> we take the prisoners and stick them in the next to the conquered, um, <laughs> conquered Rotary <laughs> um, behind a fence and, and Bill goes to see them Oh, once a week. Um, but, um, but, you know, the rest of us are glad they're behind the fence. <laughs> um, and, and that's the way, you know, that, that's, a, you know, go back to Mark. Uh, that's the great picture of us. You know, we put, um, we, we despise, you know, those who commit unrighteous acts and try to put them away from us, you know. We try to create separation between them and us. And God's response is to to bring them to him. Um, and that is, that's not our way, (laughs) Um, and that's not, uh, that's not the way we would do things, but that's our hope, that we, once we recognize that we're, um, that we're the wicked, that we're the unrighteous, we're the ones who, who have this thirst that uh, the things of this earth can't fulfill, a need that our labor um, can't address, um, that puts us in, puts us in the position to respond to this call. And notice it's a call to repentance. Um, and I love the way that um, that one commentator um, on this verse um, uh, used the phrase, you know, it's an invitation to come to the Lord. But it's an invitation to come to the Lord and not as we are, but not stay as we are. Um, it's an invitation uh, to come um, with with this commitment to to repentance. Um, and and notice the, how it's a, this great description of the real curse of sin. You know, um, I was thinking a lot, Jerry and Mark, um, as they do counseling, you know, uh, what, 100% of your counseling ministry is, <laughs> maybe not 100%, but is the result of, of dealing with the effects of sin, of dealing of life in a fallen world, that, you know, People come to you with, um, with often with the results of their own, their own sin. Um, and sin has effects. Wickedness has effects. It's destructive. Um, it, it causes so much pain and hurt in this world. But notice that's not the problem that Isaiah is dr- addressing here. The real problem with sin here is the way it separates us from God. Um, the real effect of sin is the alienation from God it produces. And it's across this Gulf that God has extended this gift, um, that has has laid out this bridge and called people to come to it, called people to seek. And I love the way um, um, one commentator talked about how the particular word for seek here isn't you know hide and seek where you don't know where the person's hiding. (laughs) Um, It's 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 seek in the sense of you know what your destination is and go get it. It's not, um, it's, it's the way that I can drive into work and know I have a parking space, not because um, I have a pass right now, not those months where I don't have the pass and I'm looking for a parking space at downtown Boston and you know, <laughs> I'm circling the block. Is that person leaving? <laughs> is that person leaving? You know, I'm seeking for something. I don't know where it is or where it's to be found. Whereas versus the other, I, I'm, I'm heading, I have, I'm seeking my destination which is fixed for me. It's established for me and all I have to do is is respond to it. Uh, yeah, Teresa. Yeah, and you that's a great lead-in to my next question, so thank you. <laughs> um And, you know, it was funny. While I was reading this, the cynical doubting side of me might read those words. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth. You know, the cynical part of me says, aha, there's a mistake. Because we know that that water, that snow, eventually evaporates and goes back to the heavens. And so, ah, there. um, But, you know, when the cynic me says that, I'm, I'm missing the point. Um, and so, what is the real point of that image of you know of of this rain and snow coming down, watering the earth, producing seed and, um, for the sower and bread? Um, it's um, so. What's the point of that image? Um, it's not. To, yeah. It's not. To, it's not a description of the scientific <laughs> water cycle <laughs> that we learn, whatever grade we learned that you teach that in second grade science, Dana, <laughs> water cycle. So you second grade science. Um, you know, it's not the second grade science lesson. You know, what's the point of this uh simile? Is it the, the of God comes of the yeah, it comes it it comes uh just like rain comes from the heaven. Uh, we can do nothing to produce it. You know, we got rain last night. I did nothing to we needed it. Um but I did nothing to, to produce that rain. It came down from heaven as the free gift of God to us, um, and uh, its effects, you know, take immediate effect. Like, you know, think of those summer rains where you know, like it, we get those evening thumber, thunderstorms, and the next morning you're like, I have to cut the grass again? <laughs> like, did it, it grow a foot overnight? You know, we, we see the, you know, it comes down, and we see the effects. Yeah, good. What else does the uh, simile mean? Yeah, Pat. It accomplishes its purpose. It doesn't come back empty. Um it's not the uh, again to sort of think of um, this offer again. It's not a, a gimmick. You know, like, I can't remember what I think it's an insurance commercial where the the person has like, got like a dollar bill on the end of a fishing pole and it's like here have a dollar <laughs> here's a dollar. <laughs> you know it's you know no it, it's coming and it it it's being effective. It's it's doing its work. Um, it it. Um, Rings change in us, and I love this image of the word um, going out and not returning void. Um, I, I think in maybe the first, um, yeah, it was the first um, devotional I think I ever had to lead. Um, uh, and I, it was on this subject, and, you know, back back then I didn't know what I was doing. I still don't know what I'm doing, right. but... <laughs> Um, i 've got twenty years of experience of not knowing <laughs> what i 'm doing now um, but uh, but two pictures and it 's the way they 've stuck with me the two two um, images uh, or examples I used of this the word coming out and not returning void um, were from two people 's lives and the first one was um, a W Pink um, who was uh, um, a British um, uh, uh, theologian clergyman someone probably read some of his books so pink actually um was a uh, theosophist so theosophy was this kind of esoteric um trying to find uh, religious truth through kind of yeah esoteric experiences you know communicating with the spirit world you know seeking guidance from uh you know deceased spirits so um so he was uh, deeply involved in Theosophy. He was even a leader in the movement, and but he was living with his parents, <laughs> who were um, uh, ardent Christians. And one night um, he came home. He, he describes in his biography, uh, how he autobiography how he came home, and as he was going up to st- up the stairs, um, his father um, just said, you know. There's a way in a man's eyes which seemeth right, um, but in the end, leads to death. Um, and that's all he said <laughs> as he went up the stairs. And that word, uh, he, he said he stayed upstairs for days, um, thinking about those words. That word, just that one simple phrase that his father uttered from the scriptures, that was the spark that produced his conversion. It was through that pathway that God his dead heart and gave him a heart of flesh and the other example um, I used is from Charles Spurgeon who um, uh, was invited to give an address at the Crystal Palace you know that you know, some probably heard of the Crystal Palace was this uh, structure at the end of the 19th century that was built in London for the World's Fair and made you know, this enormous building of glass and steel you know the wonders of modern engineering um, so he went uh, he was invited to preach there, and so he went the day before to test the acoustics because you know a building made out of steel and glass, you know, is everything going to reflect back? What's the ac- what's the acoustics in this building going to be? So he goes, and he just stands in one spot, and um, and I think he's, it was John three sixteen. He just you know proclaimed at the top of his lungs um, to sort of see how it, and unbeknownst to Spurgeon. Um, and in some remote corner <laughs> unseen by him was a janitor sweeping and you know imagine if you're the janitor and all of a sudden you hear Spurgeon's voice you don't you think you're in the building by yourself <laughs> and all of a sudden you hear Spurgeon's voice echoing <laughs> you know and uh so um so yeah that led to his conversion so you know it's this it, you know, it sometimes we 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 don't realize um, that the words we st- speak, you know, and especially when we, re- we present the scriptures, that we're planting seeds, and it might take time for those, it might not be, you know, this one was described as kind of instant, it might, not, I can't snap my fingers. Um, you know, it, it doesn't have to be an instantaneous effect, you know, not every crop, you know, some crops produce fruit quickly, some Crops take 18 months. Some crops take years to produce their fruit. Um, But, you know, that word of God has effect. It produces change. Um, Just as, um, to go back to Pat's comment, just as we see that rain coming down and producing its effects. Yeah, Andy. Andy. Yeah, and again, that's the the great thing about that that ministry. Like, sometimes we can, you know, people can be dismissive of it, but just putting the word out there. Because again, once it's out there, you don't know what the Spirit of God is going to do with those that distribution. Um, And it's through that word; those are words of life that produce change in people. Yeah, and Calvin is, you know, there, um, you get, not to go into scholarly debates about Calvin's theology, but there's a whole range of people who sort of um, talk about, um, accuse Calvin almost of being a universalist because his belief in the call of God is and this, this dispensing of the word. He calls, um, there's a famous phrase where he talks about, um, he's giving an address to preachers and saying, you know, if you don't proclaim the gospel, people will die. Um, in their sin because, you know, and people point to that sort of saying, well, you know, he's putting it all on them, but that's missing his point. His point is the call is universal. We don't know for whom the call will be effectual, but in our subjective experience, it's our job to sow widely. Um, you know, it's kind of like the parable of the sower. You know, it's the sower's job to spread the seed uh, broadly. It's 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 God's job to produce the, the fruit the 20 40 60 fold um, so so having this um, this distinction between what we're called to do and what God does and here the emphasis is God will accomplish his pur- purpose it, this this fruit is sure just as sure as the effects of rain and snow are in producing life upon the earth Yeah, I love the, I've used it before, Uh, y'all are probably tired of it, (laughs) the the phrase, the God who created the world from from nothing can redeem us when we're worse than nothing. Um, And that's the picture we're being given here. Yes, Scott. Yeah, it, it it depends, you know, on on uh the person who has um God has worked in them faith and repentance. Um, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's free it's free gift. Um, yeah. Free sovereignly distributed gift. Um, and notice how um, I love this picture of how the chapter ends, of, of restored creation. You know, what we're talking about in this chapter is an undoing of the curse of sin, and that goes just beyond, you know, our individual selves. It's a restoration of the earth itself. You know, you know think of the curse on Adam. You know, by the sweat of your brow, you'll earn, you'll earn your bread. It wasn't, it wasn't that work itself was the curse. It was all the toil that now would be added to his work because the earth, instead of being this fruitful garden, would have briars and thistles and rocks, things that have to be cleared. Um, and he has to do all that work in order to, to, to get his bread. And that's being undone. Those briars are gone. Those thorn bushes are gone. The earth itself is restored to um, a, a memorial. You know, It, it itself pr- pronounces um, the the work of God um, this work of redemption um, through uh, you know the change that God has wrought in us gets mirrored in the physical creation. Jay you Yeah, it's the way that the change that God uh, um, has wrought in us is his testimony to others. Um, yeah, and that's part of this this proclamation of a word that, you know, he's called us to be a, a repentant community um, and others seeing our repentance and seeing the good works that come out of that repentance. You know, the way um, Paul talks about us as having you know we've received such a great gift, and it's our job to. You know, how can we be selfish <laughs> when we ourselves have received such a great gift of God? Um, and it's that kind of, um, as recipients of this, this kind of sacrificial love, that we're called to display that same kind of sacrificial love to others. All right, well we're at our time, so let me close this in prayer. But notice what how these last three chapters have fit together, where we had. Um, redemption accomplished in chapter 53, um, the application of that redemption to the church in chapter 54, and then the invitation, uh, you know, this broad universal invitation to all um, in chapter 55. Uh, so let's uh, close in prayer. Almighty God, we uh, praise you for the work that you have uh, wrought in our lives, the change you've produced in us. That uh, when you called us, we were dead in our sin. Uh, We were blind in our trespasses. Um, We were deaf uh, to the words of life. But you gave us a new heart. You gave us uh, ears to hear, eyes to see, wills willing to respond, um, in in repentance um, to come and to enjoy your free gift to us, and to participate in your everlasting kingdom of peace and love, Um, and we worship and praise you, and we ask that your spirit would continue to work in us, uh, continue to take uh, God's word and wreak change in us, to bring about um, uh, continued lifelong repentance and growth in grace to help us to be the people you've called us to be, um, to make us more and more in the image of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Help us to worship him uh, in the coming hour, to repent, but also to rejoice at such a great salvation. And we uh, praise you in Christ's name by the power of your spirit.